beauty and skincare is always a hot topic around here, and today I want to tell you about a new product line I've discovered that I think you will like, Exponent Beauty. Listeners of the show will receive 20% off their purchase. More details on that in a minute. Exponent Beauty is a skincare brand with a line of activated anti-aging serums that are clinically proven to reduce fine lines and wrinkles. The beauty of Exponent Beauty is their innovative form factor. The powders are activated with a quadruple hyaluronic acid serum in their patented precision-dosed dispenser. The packaging is gorgeous, and the dispenser itself is refillable, so it has also reduced plastic waste. Exponent Beauty's line of serums can be found in med spas and spas and dermatologists' office around the country. The line is dermatologist-recommended and clinically proven to reduce those fine lines and wrinkles, and to increase brightness and radiance, and to firm skin without irritation. No more expired or underutilized products with Exponent Beauty, just high-quality skincare with ingredients that work. Go to ExponentBeauty.com and use code TELL20 for 20% off a purchase of $100 or more. That's Exponent, E-X-P-O-N-E-N-T, Beauty, B-E-A-U-T-Y.com and use code TELL20, T-E-L-L, the numbers two zero for 20% off your purchase of $100 or more. And you have 10 things to tell. This show is about connection with each other and with ourselves. And the hope is that the things we talk about here will be fuel for better conversations and a personal awareness. This is an interactive podcast. Each episode has a prompt and a topic that I want you to take to your journal, text to your best friend, or answer on social media using the hashtag 10 things to tell you. This is a show about digging deeper and sharing our stuff. I'll go first. Welcome to this episode of the 10 things to tell you podcast. I am glad you're here for this very special episode. They're all personal. That's the whole thing around here. Share your stuff. I'll go first. They're all personal these episodes, but this one in particular means a lot to me, and I hope that you take something from it because today we are asking, what is your big story? What is the big story of your life? Now, before we jump into what that means, what I am asking when I ask that, and then telling you my own story, I do want to remind you of two ways that you can hear from me via email. One is there are episode emails that go out every single week. They're short. They contain the links that are usually in the show notes, but they come straight to your inbox and they tell you what the episode's about. They give you some behind the scenes information sometimes. It puts the links that you might want to anything I'm talking about on the show right there in your email. If you want to sign up for those, please go to 10 
www.thelovingmom.com and you'll see a little email sign up list at the top. Also, every single month, okay, maybe it's not every single month. (laughs) Maybe it's more like every other month. But on a regular basis, I do try to get out my monster email that I call the secret posts. That is a personal email I've been sending out for years. It has stories and thoughts and things in it that I don't put anywhere else because I don't want them to live on the World Wide Web, but they will come straight to you in your inbox and also in the secret posts besides my own personal stories and musings are links out to good articles that I've read lately, all of the books that I've read lately. Yes, I share my favorites on social media, but The Secret Post is the only place you can get the full list of what I've been reading, including those that I did not love. I only put those in this email. And also, I usually include some kind of style section of what I'm wearing, what I'm loving, just sort of a little favorite section. Those are all in The Secret Posts. Those go out, supposed to be monthly, really ends up being every six to eight weeks, to be honest. Anyway, you can always sign up for those at 10thingstotellyou.com slash secret posts. And while I am not trying to inundate your email inbox, I know a lot of us get a million jillion emails and we are drowning in communication. I do try to make these emails worth your time and be a resource for you and something that you enjoy getting or that you find helpful. So both of those things can be signed up for at 10thingstotellyou.com. Okay, today's topic, what is your big story? We all have one. Now, I think we all have a million small stories that are interesting or make up our identity or that flow into a larger narrative that we're constantly creating in our own life. But I really think that most of us have one big story, one overarching story. And while there are some common themes in people's stories, these can look really different. Your big story might have taken place when you were a child. You might be in the very middle of your big story. Your big story might be an ongoing thing, like over decades or over years, Or it might be something that was such a monumental event that happened earlier in your life that everything changed after, your whole trajectory in life changed after, and so that is a big story to you. So everyone's can kind of look different, but it's also sort of one theme. And let me give you an example of some of these. This can be a survival story. This can be a champion story. This can be a story of trauma. This can be a story of overcoming something. This can be a story of a worldwide event that you were in the middle of that became part of you. This can be tied to your upbringing, your religion, your region of the world. There's so many things that your one big story can be. And it feels like it's such a part of your identity, such a part of your history or narrative. Or again, if you're in the middle of it, it's not even history yet. But something that someone can't really know you very well, can't really say that they understand you if they don't know that this was a part of your story. 
that this is what makes up a big chunk of your life or your identity. Now, of course, we all have so many other stories that might even live outside of our big story that have nothing to do with our big story, or we might have hundreds of smaller stories that live within the big story. I'm not trying to put any of us in a box or make anything sound simple or neat or wrap anything up with a bow. That's not the point of this exercise. The point is to just sort of identify either for fun or for introspection or as a way for other people to know you and for you to be known. It's sort of just identifying this thing, like what is the one story that you are using in your life as a reference point that you point back to when you're talking about your growth or your life? I think you get what I am saying here. I hope you do. You know, In art, in film, this is often referred to as the hero's journey. Joseph Campbell coined that phrase way back towards the beginning of last century. It was theoretically a thing that was already happening in tales, in stories from the beginning of history, but he gave it 17 plot points and called it the hero's journey. And it's a very, very common narrative in movies, in novels, even in how we talk about ourselves and how we talk about people in our community or, you know, that sort of thing. It's sort of the idea that a person starts out in very normal circumstances and then they are called to an adventure and there are obstacles in the way and then there's maybe a magical element to it, and then there is one big fight, and then there is some kind of transformation, and the hero returns home with knowledge or having conquered something. It's a really common storyline. So when you're thinking about your own big story or your own hero's journey, I think most of us naturally sort of feel like we're still in it. Like, I don't want to say that my hero's journey is over in my life. That doesn't quite feel right. And so I'm not asking you to do that. I don't know that that feels exactly right, no matter how old you are, no matter sort of where you are on this spectrum, especially because a lot of us, our big story might be old news. Mine is going to be, mine is something that happened nearly 20 years ago that is part of my entire life and identity. And because the main part of that story is over and was a long time ago, I still don't consider like my own personal hero's journey over. So I'm mentioning the hero's journey because I think it is a way that we understand stories and the arc of stories. But I don't think that identifying our own big story, especially if it's old, means that we can't have another big story in our life. And that if we were to ask ourselves this question in another 20 years, if we wouldn't have a different answer, we very well might. I think it sort of just depends on what your big story is. You know, I know people whose big stories are that they overcame something really difficult, that they endured a tragic loss or some kinds of tragedy at some point. I know people who their big story is a success They created something. They made something that mattered. I know people whose big story is in relationship. It's about 
a marriage or it's about a parent-child relationship, it's about their sexuality. There is lots of ways that you can look at your big story. And again, I'm not trying to say you only have one, but I do think most of us have one big one. So I'm going to talk about my one big story today. And even though this is something that I have talked about and written about and journaled about and talked and talked and talked about over the years, it's not going to be like a revelation to anyone. I'm still a little bit nervous to share it because in some ways, our big stories, if you're past them or if you've retold them so many times as I have, there's parts of them that have almost become like a mythology. Like you're not even sure if it's exactly true what you're saying, because you have packaged this story so well into a bow. You know so well how to explain what came from it or why it was transformative or any of these things. It's become a really down pat narrative that is interesting to tell, interesting to listen to. But if you've done it so many times, in some ways you almost end up being disconnected from it of of like, did that really happen like that? Or have I sort of reshaped that history to make it a better story or to make it easier to understand when I tell it? Because most stories, especially big stories, are messy and they're complicated. And just like when a book gets made into a movie and you have to lose all the side characters and you have to simplify it down to the easiest plot and subplots, We do this with our own history. We forget the details or we conveniently leave them out and make the whole thing more palatable for ourselves and for others. And this is especially true if the story is older. So my big story, the thing that defined an enormous part of my life and identity is that I was a small town girl who moved to Los Angeles. That's it. That is the whole transformation, but it's a big for me because it changed my whole life and it is absolutely a touch point to me. It's something I reference all the time. There's like a before California Lara and an after California Lara. I spent a good decade after that move really straddling the fence of being really true to my roots or answering the calling of being someone different. I've written about it. I've repackaged it. I've reshaped this whole story, not to make it less true or not to make it something it wasn't, but just it is the thing that I analyze and turn over in my mind when I'm looking at the whole of my life, because it's not just about moving across the country. It's about everything that came after. It's about the children I have, the career that I pursued, spirituality and style. And I mean, there's just, there's so many elements to it. But when I drill it down, my big story is that I grew up in a really small town and I moved to one of the largest cities in the world. And those two things inform an enormous amount of who I am and what my struggles are and what my growth path is and my worldview. So I'm going to tell a little bit of this story now. I'm going to tell it how I remember it. I'm going to tell it how I tell it. 
you know, the truth parts and the parts that maybe I have polished to be prettier than they are. I'm not doing that purposely. I'm going to tell this story how I tell this story, which is just as plainly as possible. And the reason that this whole topic came up in my mind is because it was this exact time of year in the year 2001, so 19 years ago, when I made this move. It was August of 2001 when 22-year-old Laura moved from Oklahoma to LA, sight unseen. I had never been here. I did not have a job. I knew no one. And yet I took this enormous leap of faith. I banked my future, not knowing it was my entire future. At the time, I thought it was just an immediate future. But I did this really scary thing. And it wasn't an accident. And it wasn't haphazard. And it was not youthful ignorance. It was real. In every sense of the word, I was following what I knew was the right path at the time, even though on paper, it just looked ridiculous. So let me back up. With sunshine, outdoor activities, and so many fun things to do outside, it is impossible not to enjoy all of these good weather days up ahead. Of course, we all know that more sun and fun means more sweating, and yes, more odor. That's why I'm excited to tell you about Lumi. Lumi is the first of its kind in the full body deodorant world and is seriously safe to use on any and every part of your body. It was created by an OBGYN who saw firsthand how regular body odor was being misdiagnosed and mistreated. I especially love that Lumi deodorant is baking soda and paraben free. It is also pH balanced for safe use on all areas of your body. You can choose from a variety of fresh scents like clean tangerine, lavender sage, and toasted coconut. Lumi's starter pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, two free products of your choice like a mini body wash or deodorant wipes, and free shipping. As a special offer for listeners, new customers get $5 off a Lumi starter pack with code U at lumideodorant.com. That equates to 40% off your starter pack when you visit Lumi, L-U-M-E, deodorant, D-E-O-D-O-R-A-N-T.com and use code U, Y-O-U. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So I grew up in a teeny, teeny town in Southern Oklahoma, about 3,500 people, where we lived out in the country off a dirt road in a ranch style house on like 40 acres with horses. And it was just really, really remote and quiet. And I loved it. I still love that kind of peacefulness and am attracted to it, even though I ultimately made my life in the city. But when I think back to a childhood out in the country like that, it feels very good to me. It does not feel scary or 
isolated in a bad way. It feels very peaceful, that childhood. And I had two parents. They're still married to this day. They just celebrated their 54th wedding anniversary. And I have an older sister who's nine years older and an older brother who's seven years older. So I was at the bottom of our family by quite a bit and spent a lot of time alone out there in the country and spent a lot of time with my nose in a book. Not surprising. And both of my older siblings are very smart. My brother had his eye on going to college out of state. And so to facilitate that dream, he started going to high school in the next big town over, about 30 miles away. It's called Ardmore. I think a lot of you have heard me talk about Ardmore as my hometown because I did end up following him to school. So I was going to Ardmore schools. And then eventually, when I was older, my parents also moved to Ardmore. And so when I returned home to my hometown, when I did that episode earlier in the summer about my hometown, that was all about Ardmore, Oklahoma. That's actually not where I spent most of my childhood physically, but that is where I identify with now as my hometown because that's where I went to school. That's where I went to church. That's where our community ended up being. Ardmore is much bigger than the tiny town where I spent the early part of my life. Ardmore is about 25,000 people, which for Oklahoma, that is a really good sized town. It's the largest town within like 100 miles. So that's the background for where I grew up. And when I'm talking about Oklahoma and my childhood in Oklahoma, I'm talking about some version of those two small towns just a few miles north of the Texas border and a place that I dearly love now. It's where all my family is. They're back in Oklahoma. But growing up, they will tell you and I will tell you, I always felt like I didn't fit. I realize this is a common thing. No matter where you grew up, big city, small town, a lot of people feel like that they do not fit in the family or community or whatever that they were born into. And this was certainly true for me. You know, you can look at it from either a soul level was, did my soul not fit? Or the practical side of me says it was because I was reading so much. I read so much starting very young. I read all the time. And I think that with my head and so many stories and all different kinds of stories, but truthfully, now that I think back on it, not too many small town stories those were not the books that I was reading, that probably greatly contributed to me feeling like I wasn't anything like the characters in these books I was reading. I didn't read any books about young girls in small town Oklahoma. And so when I pictured myself, when I pictured my life, it was always somewhere else. It certainly wasn't because I didn't feel loved I did. I had a very loving family. I had a very close relationship with everyone in my family. I had friends. I had a church community eventually. It was not a story of feeling like I didn't fit because I wasn't loved or appreciated. It's just a story of maybe feeling like this isn't my place. And when I was young, I couldn't articulate why. I had a lot of anxiety. I had a low hum of dread all the time. And I also think that that contributed to me feeling like I have to get out of here 
one of the markers for my anxiety is a fight or flight situation, mostly flight. So my big story is about flight, basically, is is getting out, is removing myself from where I felt so scared all the time. And so that was also a big part of it. I think some part of me felt like if I could just get away from myself, if I could get away from the circumstance, I would feel less anxious. That actually turned out to be true. So was that some instinct telling me that starting when I was very young? I don't know. I don't know how any of these things work. I'm just telling you my big story. So I was very itchy to leave Oklahoma and would tell people that when I was young. Once I got a little bit older, like a teenager, then that shifted a little bit because you know, I started to be mature enough to have the perspective of thinking about wanting a family one day or, you know, what I would want a home to look like. Or, you know, I, I started to sort of maybe try to envision a future for myself. And because I had not really traveled ever, my family was not a big traveling family. And obviously there was no internet yet. TV was different. Like my influences were very different from the kind of influences that kids had have today and what, you know, they can maybe envision for themselves. And so when I got to a place in teenagerdom where I was envisioning my future, I think for a little bit, I got less dreamy and more practical about what that might look like than I had been as a kid. Then I went to college in Oklahoma. I went to the University of Oklahoma. And at this stage of my life, I was following a really traditional sort of path for my social circle for my parents type of social circle. Like there was a very traditional way to do things that included going to college and then getting a degree and then getting a job and getting married and these things that were felt very comfortable to me. And I say that with complete normalcy that that felt like exactly what I wanted to do. And so I you know, did that without a ton of energy around it other than like, oh, this is the next step. And then you go to college. And so when I was in college was when I started to think that, you know, maybe I didn't want to get married right out of college. I didn't want to start a family right away. And oh, how I wish I could go back and do certain aspects of college again, because I think that those years, your late teens, early 20s are so formative, no matter where you are, if you're still in education, if you're starting a family young, if, you know, whatever it is that you're doing, those are just really formative times in life. They can be. And I was definitely not paying enough attention to sort of how amazing it was. I had a great time in college and I had good friends and I had great classes but I, I was not appreciating maybe just how awesome that time is when I look back and think, wow, like how lucky I was to be in a situation where I was learning and studying literature and philosophy, the things that I wanted to be studying, that I had, you know, the choice to do that. I had absolutely no idea how incredible that opportunity was and how special it was. Now I look back and just... Like it was really, really a great four years. But the summer between my junior and senior year, 
I studied abroad. I studied abroad in England. I got into a literature program at Oxford University. And that summer is actually the thing before the thing, if you will. That is such a huge part of my big story. Because even though being in the UK is not exactly like an immersive cultural experience, you know, there's no language barrier. It is about as similar to the US as one could get, I assume. But I had never been out of the country since then, except for like going to Mexico for spring break. I had not really explored another country. And in my time in England, we would take the train to Scotland, we took the train to France. And then of course, our home base was Oxford, which is just rich with history, especially literary history, which was my passion, still is my passion. So seeing the world for the first time, seeing another part of the world for the first time, when I had barely traveled even within the US, at that time I had never been to major cities here. And it was very eye-opening to me to be in the middle of London, to be in the middle of Paris as a broke college student. Like I felt like the world just opened up so wide. And I saw so many things that I just had no idea I needed to even be thinking about. You know, in my bubble, and not not all of Oklahoma is a bubble by any means, but my world in Oklahoma had been a bubble. So I did not know anyone of any other religion. I barely knew anyone with political differences. I had no friends that didn't look a lot like me. I had not spent much time in any kind of hardship. I just, there's just so much I didn't know. Uh, I had been sheltered in a healthy, loving way, but I just, I didn't know anything about the world. And so this study abroad trip, when I came home from it, right before my senior year of college, I came home and started saying and meaning to everyone around that I was going to leave as soon as I graduated. Like I needed to get out of Oklahoma. I wanted to live in a city. I wanted the noise and the bustle and a cafe on every corner. Like these little glimpses that I had gotten to a European lifestyle that I thought might be matched here in some way in New York or LA or maybe even Chicago, some kind of place I decided I wanted to be in that life for longer than just a study abroad program. I came home absolutely obsessed with the idea of living somewhere else. It had really just made me realize that I wanted a big experience. And even though I was saying I wanted to move, I wanted to move, what I meant by that was that I wanted to go do like a few crazy years in a city. And I didn't articulate all this, but I I just know that I really did think But eventually I would come back to the middle of the country, if not Oklahoma, then a region that felt familiar to me, Texas, maybe some part of the South. Like I did think I would return to that eventually, but I thought I wanted to do some kind of crazy 20s something, have a big adventure and then settle down and have a family, which I always wanted to do and, you know, live that part of the familiar life. Well, as I was saying that... (laughs) Simultaneously to me saying that, I ended up in a relationship with someone who was also willing to move out of Oklahoma. It was 
not great timing to fall in love my senior year of college when I was sort of concocting all these grand plans and had in fact broken off more than one relationship in my past with people that I loved dearly and that were good people, but just did not want what I wanted for a future. And then I met someone who did. And we fell in love in the winter of my senior year of college. It was very unexpected. He was very different from anyone I had ever dated. I think that was part of the appeal, honestly. And he was super game for a move to California after I graduated in May. He was not graduating yet, and I had decided California somewhere along the way before I met him. I think when I came home from my study abroad experience and decided I wanted to move, I had decided in my mind, like a lot of people who grow up in the middle of the country, it seems like the the two coasts are the most extreme places that you can go to get out of your small town, New York City or Los Angeles. I was terrified of New York City. I didn't even understand how a person could do life there. Like, how did you even get groceries? It was very stressful to me. I decided California called to me. It was the utopia, if you will. I pictured palm trees and the ocean and movie stars everywhere and like glamorous meets hippy dippy. All of that appealed to me. By the way, that's not untrue. I mean, there's not movie stars everywhere, but glamorous meets hippy dippy is sums up Los Angeles in some ways. So it was attractive to me then. It's attractive to me now. So I had decided and started saying I was going to move to California. I didn't know anything about Los Angeles. I had never been here, but you know, movies, right? Like we see what Los Angeles is and it seemed awesome. Also, another marker of my personality that is still true to this day, telling people my senior year of college that I was going to move to California after graduation held me accountable to it. You know, I'm not a person who like keeps a secret dream and like toils away without anyone knowing about it. That's just not how I operate. If I tell people I'm going to do something, I have enough ego involved there that I feel like I need to do it. I have to save face. I will look dumb if I don't. I'm not saying this is a healthy mentality, but I'm just telling you then and now. When I'm telling someone that I'm going to do something, the telling of it is kind of what makes it happen. Otherwise, I would never take a risk if I hadn't put my own name and ego on the line. So telling everyone that I was going to move to California after graduation, sort of became my thing at the beginning of senior year. Then I fell in love with this person in the middle of senior year. He was um, a skateboarder. He was really into music. In fact, what ended up seeming funny to me later is that he actually introduced me on the TV, you know, to some of the things and people that I would get to know later in real life. But, you know, who could have ever known how those stepping stones would turn out? Anyway, the point is he was game for Los Angeles. And so we spent months planning a move across the country together. And I really thought that my future was with this person. I thought that we were going to be together for a long time. Obviously, I thought that or I would not have like made such intense 
plans to move with him if I didn't think that we were very serious about one another and would be together for a long time. But I also was not a total Dumbo pants, and I knew that LA was expensive. And I knew from sort of acquaintances who had lived there before, or just kind of talking through and planning some of the practicalities of moving to LA, I realized like I wasn't going to be able to afford your average rent here without a lot of roommates. So for a while there, we actually had multiple people that we knew who were going to move with us. You know, we were going to like live a bunch of us in an apartment together. The plan kept morphing and changing, but my eye was on the prize of this was my future. I did not apply for internships. I did not look for jobs. I just had my goal of moving to California. And it felt completely right to me. It felt, yes, scary at times, but the good kind of scary, like very healthy, happy. It absolutely beckoned to me in every way. I do not ever recall before I moved here being hesitant on this decision. I thought this afterwards, but we'll get to that. So as second semester of my senior year progressed and the people who said they were also going to move with us obviously started to fall away and someone got a job in Dallas instead and someone got cold feet and, you know, it was down to me and my boyfriend and then someone set me up with or put me in touch with a sorority sister who had been in my same pledge class, but she had transferred and gone to a different school for most of college. And so she and I had not really been friends when we were in college together, but some of our mutual friends had stayed in touch with her. And her name was Megan. And Megan had gotten into medical school and she was taking a year deferment and wanted to just do something fun for a year before she had to buckle down and do, you know, 10 years of intense medical school. And through friends that connected us, we realized that she was more than willing, in fact, was excited to do her year off in California. She'd already been thinking that. And so they kind of put us in touch and it seemed like the perfect scenario. In my mind, things were really falling into place. This was a sign that everything was happening. On my graduation day from college, I look back at pictures from that day and I am glowing. Like for a long time, that was one of the happiest days of my whole life. I had graduated college, which had been a little bit of a slog at the end. College always is. I was about to move in a way that felt like the exact perfect next thing for me. I was in love with a boy who was in love with me, who was different than anyone else in my life in a way that also at the time felt like, yes, this is right. I am pivoting. I am coming out of my cocoon, if you will. This is my life. I am on the cusp of everything. That's how I felt on my college graduation day. And you can see it in the pictures. I can see it perfectly. And then just a few weeks after that blessed, wonderful cap and gown day, the boyfriend walked into my apartment 
that was already partially packed because we were going to leave soon to move to LA, he walked in and out of the complete clear blue sky, I had just showered, I had my hair up in a towel, I had an old football t-shirt on, unsuspecting me, answered the door, and he walked in, did not even take his coat off, and told me that our relationship was over. And I mean, over, over. There was not a discussion. I did not get an explanation why. It was, for a long, long time, one of the most devastating things that had ever happened to me was this breakup. Like I said before, I had been in love before this person and I had gone through difficult breakups. It was not my first heartbreak, but because I had staked a whole future with this person and had made a lot of decisions around our relationship and also the fact, I can see this now, how devastating this part of it was, but also that I had no idea it was going to happen, the unexpectedness of it, for lots of reasons, was really, really traumatizing. In every other breakup that I have been through, and I'm talking romantic or even in like friendship breakups throughout my life, there's like a rocky period, if you will. I was so blindsided by this thing that happened that I thought was my whole future. I'd put a lot of my hopes of transformation, a lot of my dreams for who I wanted to be, who I was sort of trying to become, but I wasn't there. He was a little bit of that bridge for me coming from a different world. And when he dumped me, it had such repercussions for me beyond a regular heartbreaking breakup, which breakups are hard. And when you're young, they're very, very hard. Or I guess when you're old too. Breakups are devastating, of course, but it wasn't only the, I don't want to be your boyfriend anymore. It was also, and I'm not moving to Los Angeles and I am not your partner in this. And so the choice, which it was never really a choice in my mind, but it became doing something with someone by your side or doing something alone. And I was about to embark upon this alone because it did not cross my mind to not move. I mean, even in like the moment I was being broken up with, I still didn't think, oh, I guess I'm going to stay here now. No, I had set forth my path of moving to Los Angeles, but now it looked very, very different. And the whiplash of that really did color so much of this monumental move and that first year here. It was something that I did while I was in the deepest grief and heartbreak and what I can see now as depression. And so that just became a really huge part of the story for me. I mean, it is. It will always forever be an enormous part of my story that I moved to LA when I was just a shell of myself. Because when he walked out of my apartment, it felt like a death. And I'm not minimizing what it feels like to truly lose someone to death, because I know what that feels like also. But anyone listening who has been through the hardest heartbreaks knows why I even liken it, because he did not pass from this earth, and nor did I. But 
a whole construct of love and dreams and all of it just disappeared in like an absolute moment. And it was shocking and it changed me. This breakup absolutely changed me. And I don't know if this would be true if this had happened, you know, junior year or something, even if it had been a surprise end to a relationship, but the rest of my life had continued on. I still went to college. I'd still went to class, all of that kind of thing. Maybe that would have been a a normal healing and grieving period, but because we broke up and then I subsequently moved to Los Angeles, everything in my life, in my mind, changed. I lived for a little bit in reaction to that breakup. As I was going through this major life change of moving from my hometown, home state, to a whole different world, California felt like a different planet, I was also mourning this loss in my life that I knew then because I have my journals to read, I knew then wasn't solely about that guy. I mean, I was in love with that person, but my deep brokenness around that relationship ending wasn't solely about him as a human. It was everything else I was describing. It was the end of the life I had built in Oklahoma. It was the last time I would so innocently be in love in the same way because everyone I dated after that, I was putting up walls. I was always protecting myself. Like I was never going to give myself fully to someone after you've been surprisingly wrecked. It was definitely something that added enormous amount of baggage to my life emotionally and spiritually that wasn't solely about that person. I can see that now in this big story that I'm telling in my story, I can see the parts that were enormous obstacles, that were enormous broken places for a long time, that were the milestones of this story of me moving. I fell in love unexpectedly. I was dumped unexpectedly. And so suddenly I was making this big change alone. And these are plot points in my story, but also having lived them, I can say it felt huge at the time. Everything felt huge and monumental at the time. And still, 20 years later, I look back and see it was, it was monumental. We don't always know sometimes when we're in our big story. We don't always know that this is the big thing. And while this isn't the biggest thing that ever happened to me, this is the biggest, most important change in my life was moving to LA and it is tied to this story of heartbreak. So the sorority sister that I already mentioned that I had been reconnected with, Megan, she became my new partner in this. (laughs) I mean, we didn't look at it like that because we always knew she was only going to be there for a year, but she really did become a partner in this very important time in my life because we followed through with our plans. Even though we were down the third person in this story, we flew to Los Angeles in that summer after I graduated. We had a long weekend here that has its own sort of magical elements to it, where we slept on a friend of a friend's couch. We found the perfect apartment at the last minute. 
we signed a lease and then we flew home to get our stuff and move back. And we did. In August of 2001, Megan and I arrived in Los Angeles. She came like a normal person pulling a U-Haul or whatever. I came with my brother's flatbed pickup truck carrying a big refrigerator box full of my stuff. And in the back of the pickup truck, we had a dresser that was strapped down only on the interstate at some point between Oklahoma and California, one of the drawers popped off. And so I was down one drawer (laughs) of my dresser. And we came rolling down Hollywood Boulevard, like the Beverly Hillbillies in this like diesel truck that rumbled and with all my furniture and refrigerator box strapped to the back. We pulled up and parked and I'll never forget it because our first apartment, my apartment with Megan was on Hollywood Boulevard. And I felt like I had really made it. I had done what I said I was going to do, which was move to LA. And although I hadn't planned it this way, I had done it in defiance of someone who had ditched me. And even though I was in a fog of depression and sadness, I still did it. I put one foot in front of the other. I had a new friend who became a true partner to me that year, much more than a roommate. And We put one foot in front of the other and we got groceries and bought a couch and set up a life here in LA. And I I never thought I could do it in all of my bluster about it and all of my knowing the whole full year before that, that I was going to do it. It was like some part didn't quite believe that I was until my foggy, heartbroken self woke up in a beautiful, light-filled apartment on Hollywood Boulevard, not having any idea, maybe having a tiny inkling, but not having any idea how much this was going to change the rest of my life. Because it did. It changed the absolute rest of my life. We had only lived in LA for three weeks when September 11th happened. And it was a scary time, obviously. I still didn't have a job. And so I was living out here unsure of what was going to happen in America, 1,500 miles away from my family. And I had to make a choice. And I talked it through with my family. I talked it through with my roommate, Megan. And we had to make a choice of if we were going to stay or if after just a month in the city, I was going to go home and sort of wait out what was going to happen in the aftermath of 9-11 when I was very scared to live in this big city that at the time we were being told would be the next target. I didn't have any reason to stay here. Again, I did not have a job. We had barely met anyone yet. If I was going to pull up and go home, that was the moment. And I decided very consciously that I was going to stay until the end of the calendar year. So I was going to stay until after Christmas. I was just going to give it a few months, even in this uncertainty of the United States. I was just going to see if I could get a job, if I could make a life here, or if it was just going to be conceded that it was bad timing all around. That was the decision. My family was in support of it. Megan was going to do the same. And in October of 2001, I got my first job for MTV, the lowest rung on the totem pole as a very low-level production assistant for a Christmas special, a Tom Green Christmas special. So it was a short job. It was just like eight weeks or something. And I got that job from a connection of Megan's, a family friend of Megan's that had 
become our dear friend after we'd moved here. And the producer on that short little special was going to make a movie for Paramount after the first of the year, after we were done with this project. And he wanted to know if I would come work for him on that movie. And that movie was Jackass. And that started a whole new chapter of my life. That's a whole different story that ends with me meeting the love of my life and the man who would become the father of my children and also the best person I've ever known. But that's a different big story. That doesn't even matter to my big, big story, which is that I followed my dream, that I did it when I was heartbroken, that I chose a path over and over several times when I had the opportunity to say, no, this isn't right, or no, I don't want to do this alone. But I decided not only to move to Los Angeles, but to stay. And that is the big story. Everything that happened after, every transformation that came after loops back to that. I'm not saying that some things in my life never would have happened if I hadn't moved. I mean, obviously some things wouldn't, but like there's certain growth points and certain things that I think would have happened in my soul if I had never left my small town ever. I do believe that, but there are so many other things like the entire trajectory of family and career and love and where I feel the most at peace, which is in LA, the city I love so much. This is where my soul feels at peace. All of that came from my one big story. So that's my answer to this question. I want to hear yours. I know that everybody's looks different. And there is love and loss and decisions made and decisions not made. They're all tied up in our one big stories. I have so many details I could tell you about mine, even more than I divulged here. So many. August makes me sentimental for this very reason, because it's like I feel it in my spirit. This is the time of year when my biggest change happened thus far. I don't know that it will always be my big story. I feel probably sure that it won't. I think other things happen in a person's life, of course. But it's been almost 20 years. It's been exactly 19 years. And this is still my big story. This is still my touchstone, my before and my after. I want to hear yours. If you share it, please make sure you tag the show. I want to read these this week. I hope you do share it. If you're shy about putting it out there publicly, then just make sure you're reaching out to a friend and you guys exchange big stories. I hope that you think about this this week, your big story. I hope that you share it with someone. Thanks for listening to mine. I'm Laura Tremaine, and you've just listened to the 10 Things to Tell You podcast. You can find the show notes and subscribe to episode emails at 10thingstotellyou.com slash podcast. And you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at 10 Things to Tell You. Remember, this is an interactive podcast. I have 10 things to tell you, and you have 10 things to tell. So take this topic to your journal or a friend or post on social media using the hashtag 10 things to tell you. These episodes are meant to bring connection with others and ourselves and spark better conversations. Thanks for listening. Now go share something.